0: morning, we're going to be thinking about our mission. We're starting a four-week series. That's really the intent is to equip you and encourage you and inspire you to tell his story in your life. How God, from the very beginning, has been weaving in your life to this unique story of his relationship with you. And I hope it'll be encouraging and strengthening to you. You know that you have a mission, right? You have a personal mission that God has given to you. And it's a shared mission for every follower of Jesus. So June over here, she has a mission, and so does Debbie in front of her. And every person in this room has this God-given mission that we share together, and that is to make healthy, multiplying disciples, people who follow Jesus and who are growing and that God uses in our life to influence. And this morning, we're going to take a look at this wonderful story. I'm not sure how familiar you are. You might be very familiar with the story. And I hope it brings really great encouragement to you and inspiration to you. It's found in Mark chapter 2 in your Bibles. I invite you to turn your Bible open. If you don't have one, there's some provided for you right in front of you. So go ahead and open up to Mark 2 if you have an electronic device, a, a phone or an iPad or whatever. Just feel free to go and get that. The wonderful part about the mission that we talk a lot about here is that we are called to make these multiplying healthy disciples to every ethnos, every people group. And in Fremont and Newark and Union City, Milpitas, wherever you might find yourself, wherever you might live, there are a lot of ethnos. God has brought a lot of people to this area, and he's done it with his great design so that they might come to know him and that we might be faithful and have really good-looking feet I was reminded of that really great passage in Romans chapter 10. You know what I'm talking about? I'll share it with you briefly, starting in verse 14 of Romans 10. It says this, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How is it possible for a friend of yours, a friend of mine, maybe a family member, someone I work with or go to school with, for them actually to experience the healing of God in their life, to to trust God? put their belief in Christ. How is that possible? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? What if they've just never actually heard that God loves them and wants to forgive their sin and restore a relationship with them? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? That's not me. That's not my job. Not for the people that group of people in your life, in my life, that are unique. I'm not called to the same people that you're called to. How are they going to hear? And how are they to preach? That is, how are we to actually speak out the good news unless they're sent, unless you have confidence that God has called you specifically to a mission this week? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Those are the people with good-looking feet. Hopefully we're a church filled with people with great-looking feet, right? That we understand the calling of of the mission to go and to speak this out. There is a delightful story, a wonderful story. It's told to us in Mark chapter 2. I'm going to read it, and we're going to think a little deeper about this great story. Um, Perhaps you know it. I'm going to rehearse it for you. I just want you to think about this and then I'll give the context of it. it happens at the beginning part of Jesus' ministry. Mark 2, starting verse 1, and we'll read through verse 12. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that, is, that he, that's Jesus, was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. So imagine, if you will, this packed house, people discovering that Jesus was there and they wanted to hear and he was preaching the word to them. How fantastic would that be, just for a moment? Wouldn't it be great to come to church and instead of me, you get Jesus? How great would that be, right? Can you imagine just being in that house and he's preaching the word and you're like just drinking it up and just thinking, wow, I never thought about that. Wow, I never thought, wow, that's a great insight. <laughs> and that's what was happening. You know, he's preaching the word to them, this, this large crowd. Verse 3, and they came bringing to him, that is to Jesus, a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. They, I mean, you might have read the story a bunch of times, but that's a pretty striking statement, right? That they, they're desperate to get this friend of theirs to Jesus. And they say that there's no way they're going to get to the crowd. So they climb up on the roof, and they just rip a hole in the roof right above Jesus. I think it's pretty remarkable the links that they go to to get this done. And they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Great question. Who can forgive sins? God alone, right? Only God can do that. So they were kind of on the right track, but didn't know Jesus yet. And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise up, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never saw anything like this. It's a great story, right? Um, it happens at the beginning. So at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, we're told that the first miracle he did was in a place called Canaan. He went to a wedding. And Sparky, I know you were recently at one. Um, and a wedding of the Van Spreckler daughter, right? And, and imagine, you know, you run out of refreshments. And for them, they were serving wine at the wedding, and they ran out, and they're panicked. And there's all these people that are there, and, and Jesus turns water into wine. And it was actually the good stuff. It was really, really good. That was the first time that people kind of got wind that something was different about Jesus, and then we're told in the very beginning of Mark, just before this passage, that Jesus came along, a man who had leprosy in that day, in that culture, it was debilitating. You're, you could lose digits and arms and legs because of this disease, and eventually you would die because of it. It was contagious, so you would have to yell out ahead of yourself if you had it to stay away. They wouldn't have any physical, personal contact with anybody. They would go through the rest of their life without physical love or appreciation from other people, they'd be an outcast completely. And Jesus goes to the man and touches him and heals him. And then he tells the man, okay, don't tell anybody about this. I'm not looking for, you know, headlines. Just go get right with God. Well, the man is so excited about what's happened to him and the way Jesus has stepped into his life that he can't be quiet. Don't know if you've ever experienced that where... Or you are so enthusiastic about what God has done for you that you just, you got to speak it out. You're there at the coffee shop this week, and you see the barista there, and you're like, okay, I got to tell you, I got to tell somebody. I've got to tell you how good God is. Would that be different for you? Right? So this, this man, he just, he can't keep a lid on it. He starts telling people. Word gets out. Jesus goes to Capernaum in this house, and that's why all these people are gathered there. They want to hear him, and he's preaching the word. And it's really, for them, it's they're just drinking it in. The crowd keeps growing, keeps growing. And then we don't have a whole lot of information in this story about these, these guys. They have a friend who's paralyzed. We don't know how long he's been paralyzed or what his situation is. We know that in that culture, they had virtually nothing for those that were disabled or physically challenged and he's laying on a bed. How humbling would that be? And um, his four friends grab him, and all we know about this story is that they had faith. They had these four guys. They apparently love this guy enough to grab him on his bed, and when they hear Jesus is in town, they start taking him. We don't know if they put him in a cart or whatever they did, but they they take him to Jesus and then they get there all full of hope and expectation of what God might do and yeah they can't get through the crowd the picking people are in their way like a traffic jam which I hate by the way and they can't get through to Jesus and they are in passion because they believe they believe that Jesus is different they believe that their friend needs to be healed And that Jesus can do it. And nothing's going to stop them. So they get up on that roof and start digging a hole. It's remarkable, I think. I find it irresistible not to point out their action. I think it's really inspiring. Um, Why do you think these guys went to such great lengths? Would you tell somebody around you, if you're a kid, tell your parents, because they need to know. If if you're an older person, tell the person next to you. Why do you think these guys went to such great lengths that they would pick their friend up and dig a hole in the roof of somebody's house, not their house. Go, tell somebody, okay? this the interactive part. Turn to the person next to you, even if they look weird, and say, oh, I, I think this is what motivated them. The text, it it just tells us they had faith, right? That's what the text tells us, that they believed in Jesus' power to heal, and they knew someone who needed healing, and nothing was going to stop them from taking that person to Jesus. That's what we know. And in essence, that's what drives the mission here. That's what motivates us. Those very things. We believe that Jesus has the power to heal. Presently has the power to heal people. Many of us who follow Jesus, we've experienced it personally in our lives. That he has forgiven our brokenness, our sin. And repaired our relationship with God. He has the power to heal. And we believe it. But not only that, we know somebody. We know people, we know a whole group of people who really need to be healed. In their life, right now, they're separated from God. And they need that healing. They, they really need it. And the third part is that we would get so motivated that we would drag them to Jesus. We would not let anybody else separate them any longer. We would take them to him. That's what drives us. At the beginning of this year, we were talking um, about this book that Tom Mercer wrote. Um, it's entitled 8 to 15. And it's talking about the 8 to 15 people in your life that you are uniquely called to by God. Other people, they don't share that same circle of influence. I don't. I don't go to the same place of work you do, or go to the same school, or live in your, your neighborhood. God's called me to a different 8 to 15 people to influence. But every one of us has those people. Those of us who follow Jesus have this circle of influence God has given us. And we have the privilege to take this great news to them, to grab hold of their pet and to take them to the Lord. And did you notice in this story what happens? It's not just one guy doing it. Not one guy dragging the story. In the first service, I was... I was recalling that um, a friend of mine who owns a bike shop, James Reardon, some of you know him. He was in the first service, and a few months ago, one of the guys that works with him in in his shop, has worked with him. He came to know Christ here at church, right? Actually, Sparky had the opportunity to, to talk with him, Danny, about Jesus. But Sparky brought... Sparky brought Danny to Jesus, but he wasn't the only guy carrying the bed because James had been carrying the bed. And on the other side of church in the first service was a guy named Kendall, and he was carrying it because he went to the other place where this Danny worked. And there was multiple people that were carrying this bed, carrying this guy to Jesus. I've heard a lot of people's story of faith. I'm sure many of you have. And I get the privilege of, because of my role to just listen how God brings people to himself. I don't remember ever hearing a story where only one person influenced that person who chose to follow Jesus. It's always a group of people carrying the bed, a group of people who are influencing them. And you have been called, men and women, this week to bring people that need healing. They need spiritual healing first and foremost. You've been called to be part of that team of people. That brings him Now, I want you to think about these three big ideas that come straight from Jesus' reaction to this man. What's the first thing that Jesus says as this guy comes lowering down from the roof, right? And he, all of a sudden, he's right in the middle of the crowd. And everyone's like, what in the world? You know, they're all looking at this guy and wondering what Jesus is going to do. What's the first thing Jesus does and says to him? He says, son, you see the text? Your sins are forgiven. He does spiritual triage, doesn't he? In the moment, he looks at this man who obviously has physical needs. And the thing that he addresses first is not the physical needs. He addresses the heart, this person's brokenness, his soul, his sins. Why is that? Why does Jesus say that first? It's because our sins matter to God. God. Our sins matter to God because they wreck us. They destroy us. They separate us from every important relationship that we have. And first and foremost, they separate us from God. And it's God's great intent that you wouldn't be separated from him, regardless of the whole list of things that you have done to walk away, to disobey him, regardless of your sin, regardless of your shame and guilt, all the stuff that you've hidden. That whole thing, it matters to God because he wants relationship with you. He wants to draw you to himself. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Your sins matter because they break you they destroy you, they separate you. And it's really hard because we want to hide from them And hide them from other people. You can't hide them from God. And he just wants you to be honest and recognize that. Recognize his great love for you. So the first statement Jesus makes is pretty provocative. right? It's it's intended to get this reaction from the crowd. Wondering, wait a second, why didn't you just go for the, the physical healing first? And he says... Your sins are forgiven. And he knows what it's going to do. And the, and the guys who are religious in the crowd, the scribes, that inside they're going to be grumbling. Sure enough, that's where their hearts go. You know, their hearts are just like, what in the world does he think he's doing? You know, and that's blasphemous that he could actually say that. Because who can, who can heal but God himself? And that's the point that Jesus is going to be teaching them, that he is God in the flesh right there. So they're having this Inside of them, they're, they're working through it. They're struggling with what Jesus has just said. And Jesus said it to provoke them, to get them thinking. And then Jesus' second question is this. Why do you question these things in your heart? What's going on inside of you? That the first thing that you saw when this man was let down was not his brokenness with he and the Lord. The first thing you saw was the exterior. The exterior. Why do you respond that way? Why don't you look differently? If you're supposed to be a religious person, you got to look at what's going on in their heart first. Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven or to say, rise up, take your bed and walk? Which is easier, do you think? Okay, they're both hard, right? But which is easier? It's easier to say, rise up. Because Jesus had the power, the capacity, because of the gift of God the Father given him to heal. That wasn't hard for him. It's hard for you, right? But it wasn't hard for him the moment he could heal. The more difficult thing was to love this man so much that he would be willing to be broken and go to the cross and shed his blood and die. So that that man could experience forgiveness. So that you could experience forgiveness so that my neighbor, my friends, might experience forgiveness. That's much more difficult for him. So when he says it, which you think is more difficult, the people in the crowd are thinking, oh, it's to actually say it, then something will happen. But inside, I think, the reality was that the hardest thing is for you actually to experience the forgiveness of God because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You should not perish, but have eternal life. That's the word of God right to us, right? And that's difficult. That was really hard. So he speaks in the moment. He says, what's more difficult? They're wrestling with it. The crowd is wondering what Jesus is going to do. And it really helps us understand that Jesus actually came, and you'll see that through all the stories told about him, that he came to heal lives. I'm wondering where you sit on that issue. Do you really think that he can heal lives? See, I'm not going to be motivated to tell people around me about the power of God and who Jesus is if I don't think that he can do something about their life, the wreckage of their life right now. But if you do believe that Jesus can actually heal, then your approach to the message is different. You see people around you that you really appreciate and you love and you want to see them find and experience healing. And the message was that Jesus really did come to heal lives. Now, listen to this word from Philippians 2, 4-11. through 11. Philippians 2, 4-11 through 11 says, Let each of you... God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Have this mind in you. This same passion to heal others that you would do anything so that they would be able to come to the cross Because Jesus really can heal. And that was the point of the story. So they're wrestling. Is he going to forgive this guy? Is he going to heal the guy? What's going to happen? And Jesus says in verse 10, but that you may know, that is that you may have confidence and fully trust this, that the Son of Man, that's the title for Jesus the Messiah, has authority on earth to forgive sins, not to heal, Physically, but so that you would know that this is about forgiveness, God's forgiveness of sins. And he has the power to do that. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise and pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this, this kind of healing. We've never seen anything like this. And he would care about a person's interior first and his sin and then prove it by raising somebody like this who had been paralyzed. This is, this is memorable and stunning. And it's going to change the way I view God. It's going to change the way I live my life. Last weekend, we were celebrating 50 years of God changing people's lives, of him healing people because he really can and using people like us in the process of bringing that healing. Only he can heal the 18 or 8 to 15 people in my life, that small circle of people that God has placed me around so that I might influence for him. Some of you, you moved here, and you're wondering why in the world do you live in Fremont or Milpitas or wherever you might live? You know why it is? He brought you here so that you might influence people at the place you go to school or at your place of work so that you might experience his healing touch and you might extend that out to other people. You have this great opportunity. Now, I need some help. Um, and uh, Sparky, can, can you come on help me here for a second? Put you on the spot here. Do you know my friend Sparky Van Spreckler here? Welcome him to the stage. He doesn't know he's coming. but I need you just to lay down there, if you would, and just make yourself. You've had a long week, a couple weeks, I know. Had to pay a lot for a wedding, and it's been, like, stressful, I imagine. So um, congratulations, by the way, but just relax there. And now I need a couple volunteers. And Quint, could you help me, please? Thanks thanks Quint. okay what I need you to do is just, just drag mr. Ben Spreckler over over there go for it see if you can drag him over there wait a wait a second would you like some help see that's that's kind of the point right he needs some help so I need um, a couple volunteers that would help him Dave can you help yeah and I need a couple more two more volunteers that would that would help be helpers. Come on, don't be shy. Sure, Eric, come on up. Thanks, sweetie. Come on, that would be great. Perfect. Okay, I need you guys to just grab corners. Okay, the four of you. Come on up. Thanks. Just grab one of the corners here. Maybe you want to get on that corner right there. Go to Eric. Just getting juiced up for that. Okay, great, perfect. Okay, And I need you to. I need you to just drag him right over the cross. He's a little heavy, right? Okay. <laughs> Ready? Okay, together. Let's see if you can do it. Dave, you got to help, man, buddy. Okay, okay go. Go. Move and move him. You can do it. Perfect. Okay, keep all the way to the cross. You got to go. All, get all the way. You got to keep. Don't stop now. You got to keep going. He still needs help. All the way, Quint. Come on, kid. Great. Can you thank our volunteers? I needed to give you a visual so you would not forget. Your job is to be part of the team this week that would carry people to the cross so that they might discover healing. Because Jesus really does heal. And you have people in your life that need healing. And nothing should stop you from dragging them there. So, how do you do that? The message really is actually very, very easy and simple. We call it the ABCs around here. A, you have to admit your sin to God. You just have to own it and be honest with God, before God, that you would admit it. Romans 3, 23 and 24 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He paid the price for your sin on the cross, in a moment, we're going to celebrate communion together. It is the payment for your sin, your redemption, Him buying you so that you might have a relationship with Him. And all you have to do is A, admit it. Admit that you're broken, that you've sinned, that you've disobeyed God. That means every one of us, all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And you have to admit it before God. And B, You have to place your confidence, trust. You have to believe in Jesus. John 1, 11 through 13 says, speaking of Jesus, he came to his own. His own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. They put their confidence in him. He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood or the will of flesh or the will of man, but born of God, but of God. Everyone who believes in him, who trusts him. And see, you have to confess your sin and follow him. You just stop going your own direction. Turn, admit your sin to God, place your trust in him, and confess your sin before him. Romans 10, 9 through 13 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Let me pray with you, if I might, please. Now, Father, I pray that you would give confidence and courage to those of us who came this morning who just need to take these first steps with you. They just need to own, admit their sin, to place their trust in you, to believe in you, to confess it, and turn toward you and follow you. If that's you, if that describes you, I just ask right now, where you're at that you would just have an honest conversation with God and do those things that you would admit it, that you would believe it, you would trust that he loves you calling you to a relationship wants to forgive your sin that you just speak that out and ask his forgiveness and trust him and confess that before him and if you um, are a follower of Jesus would you pray just seek courage to follow the mission God has given you this week Father I thank you for your great love for us and I pray we'd be like the guys around the bed that we would, we would take our people, the friends, people in our lives that you placed there and we would take them to the cross this week because they need healing and because you alone can do that I pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. For more information on Bridges Community Church, please check out our website at www.bridgescc.org.